0: The Colors Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Igo. Man, what a weekend inside Clark LeClaire Stadium. I guess we are well past the weekend at this point, so what a four days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I'm running on about four or five hours of sleep. Today is supposed to be a day off, and I've ended up working a lot of it and have spent the other half of the day cleaning the house thoroughly, per my wife's request. So I'm I'm running on fumes, but obviously had to get up here and talk about the 2022 Greenville Regional Champions, the East Carolina Pirates, as they knock off Coastal Carolina 13-4 on Monday to clinch the 2022 Greenville Regional, the third straight Greenville Regional Championship for Cliff Gobbins Club, of course winning it in 2019 over Campbell, 2021 over Maryland, and this year over Coastal Carolina. We'll take a look back at the regional We're going to have a Super Regional preview later this week. Pretty quick turnaround. Of course, ESPN and the NCAA have decided to stick the Pirates with the earliest Super Regional start time of any Super Regional in terms of the turnaround for the third consecutive year. And ECU will start at 12 noon on Friday. They will be the first Super Regional to get underway as they host the Texas Longhorns. We'll get into that matchup again later this week. I'll give you a brief look at them. We're going to answer your questions here shortly. Got a lot of questions about Texas, so we'll dive into them a little bit, but have a more thorough preview later this week. But it's just, uh, it's almost comical that the Super Regional, once again, quick turnaround. Of course, you had the Louisville turnaround. I think that was at 12 noon Eastern 2 on a Friday after EC wrapped up a regional championship in 2019 on a Monday night. And then last year at Vandy, they also got started extremely early with Kumar Rocker and Gavin Williams dueling uh, during a, uh, a morning, I think 11 a.m. Central start time, and that one for 12 noon Eastern. So, yeah, ESPN, I guess they love the Pirates at that uh, ESPN2 National Spotlight noon game on a Friday and Saturday. But, uh, hey, just glad ECU's hosting, glad I don't have to travel, glad we get to see Pirate Nation. At the team's back, once again, the Pirates are hosting their first ever on-campus Super Regional. Of course, they hosted in 2001 in Kinston when they hosted Tennessee, lost two close games, ended up coming up a step short of Omaha. So, again, we'll get more into that over the coming days. Just wanted to share some thoughts on this past weekend. And, man, so many heroes to talk about, and it's tough to mention everybody um, in terms of the, the players on the team. You know, I'm going to spotlight three guys in particular coming up that just had monster weekends that I think deserve kind of that, that extra spotlight. But, you know, um, Ben Terwilliger yesterday in, in the bullpen, he had a phenomenal game. And I saw somebody post on Hoist of Colors that, that kind of gets overlooked because of the star power of some of the other guys I'm going to mention. But, you know, Terwilliger had a, a huge performance out of the bullpen. Mayhew was really good on Saturday. And, you know, kind of got lost somewhat in the shuffle and probably the actual game with a regional in that Saturday game, just because, you know, you go five innings or whatever and then you turn over to the bullpen, but his start was, was crucial. Um, you had other guys that stepped up throughout the weekend. I thought that although he didn't hit the ball extremely well, Ben Newton was really good behind the plate, controlled the running game, stopped a ton of balls in the dirt, also got a couple of key hits or moved some runners. Um, Jerry Berini off the bench had some some big knocks. Jacob Starlin had a good weekend. Josh Moylan with a tone-setting home run in that UVA game had a pretty good weekend as well in the regional overall. Lane Hoover had a huge um, huge Monday after kind of a slower weekend to start with. Ryder Giles coming off the bench to lay down sack bunts to get a couple of hits um, or to get a hit in that in the the opener against Coppin State and then on the mound just so many guys stepping up. You know, Danny Bill, I don't think he allowed a run all weekend over like five innings of work or something like that. He was really good and um, didn't pitch in like these tight game situations but just saved his teammates and was dominant when he did pitch. You know, we mentioned Williger, We mentioned Mayhew, even Wyatt Shinkman and and Merritt Beaker pitching in some spots to save innings. Um, You know, you just had so many guys step up. And, And Garrett Saylor, I know he gave up the home run in the Coastal game on Sunday, but I thought he was really good on Saturday. And Josh Groves did his job. And the regional opener also came back and threw an inning on Sunday as well. Trey is Savage once again pitching out of some jams. So, it, you know, ECU like all season long, everybody plays a role on this team. And no matter what your average is, what your ERA is, how many outs you pitch, uh, how many at bats you get, like everybody has a role on this team, and that once again led to the Pirates winning the regional just like they had done all season on this role they've been on. Again, this team was 14 and 13 at one point. They were 24 and 18 after the loss to NC State on April 26th. They are now 45 and 19 and they are Greenville Regional Champions and they are hosting the first super regional on campus in program history. It's just it's just a remarkable story and uh, you know whether this season ends this coming weekend against texas or not this is this is the team that should be remembered forever i know cliff goblin has said that but these guys have uh they've had a special year and honestly it doesn't feel like it's over and i i, I really like the fact that the team did not dog dog pile i had a feeling going into it and it, it sounds crazy just given what this team has done to kind of overcome so many odds you almost feel like they would dog pile at the regional championship but this this is expected now in this program. Again, three straight regional championships. This is the expectation. The expectation is to go to Omaha. And I think if you start winning regionals as regularly as ECU has, yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, it's an amazing feat. It 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 deserves a celebration and the players celebrated on the field, but they did not dogpile. And I kind of like it because it sends a message that, hey, we're not done. We're not <laughs> satisfied with this. We we're not gonna act like you know, we accomplished something amazing here. And obviously, I think in reality, it is an amazing accomplishment, especially considering where this team from. You're one of 16 teams left remaining in all of college baseball that deserves to be celebrated. But this program has bigger aspirations. And you can say all that, but until you act like it, I think it sets a totally different tone. And, you know, Cliff Goblin said after the the win over Coastal Carolina on Monday that this was not the – the coach's decision, this wasn't Cliff Goblin coming in and saying, hey guys, let's not dogpile, let's let's act like we've been here before. This was the player's decision. This was you know probably fifth-year senior Bryson Worrell, Cooch Manor, uh, Spivey, all the guys that are leaders, are older players on this team. They clearly made the decision not to dogpile because they have more work to do. Bryson Worrell said they do have bigger aspirations, bigger goals, and that led to the ultimate decision to not dogpile. And I respect it, and I think it sends a good message going into the Super Regional weekend. All right, tournament's most outstanding player, Bryson Worrell. I mean, just what a uh, what a regional for Mr. Worrell. He has now got 18 home runs over the year. He hit four in the regional alone. Course, the amazing feat on Friday hitting two from each side of the plate in the same inning. Um, just the super superhero stuff, and then the defense he played, I and mean, he had three or four diving catches. Um he hit the other one, he, he broke up the shutout on Sunday with the home run, and then on Monday just put an exclamation point in the weekend 3 0 green light, which by the way, after the way Coastal and, and you know, I'll say this I respect Coastal. You know they kind of embrace the hill mentality in a in a difficult road environment, and like that's kind of their style, and they did it, and that you know that's fine. You know you can do that, but then you got to be able to take it when the other team lays it on you, and not sw- you know not getting the red light three zero despite being up ten to two. I'm all for it, and if the guy wants to lay in a 93 mile per hour fastball. Why not take a swing at it? Bryson did, he hit the absolute crap out of it. Uh, onto the practice field and the football practice field, I believe to make it 13 to two, kind of put a, a real exclamation point on the weekend. He, that also sealed up his most outstanding player of the regional. I was going to vote for him either way, but I was actually having a conversation with Pat Mason about voting for him. And then he hit the home run the very next pitch. So I thought that was pretty fitting, uh, the way he has just turned it on the second half of the year man it's it's been incredible to watch we've seen bryson have flashes of just incredible talent but this is the longest stretch of just outstanding baseball he's ever played and in many ways i'm not gonna say he's carrying this team but he's kind of that star power middle of the lineup guy that is going to terrify any opponent that faces ecu which i think is critical for any legitimate national title contender to have and, and bryson Worrell has emerged into that guy and you know, the first catch he made on Monday was good. The second catch, the ground he covered and the way he dove full extension to make that play, that's one of the best plays I've seen a center fielder make inside Clark Leclerc Stadium. So just an incredible weekend for Bryson. Uh, one of the other standout performers of the weekend, Zach Agnos. I mean, you can't give this guy enough credit. And, like, Zach has handled the the situation with 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 his father passing away this past fall due to the complications from COVID-19 so well that honestly I've, there've been times during the season you're covering him and you, you know, you forget that he dealt with this tragedy and he's handled it so well, but it kind of dawned on me after Saturday's game, him pitching the way he did that night then and like how proud his dad would have been watching him and, and getting that final out with UVA threatening with the bases loaded uh, one out in the ninth inning in a 4-2 game for him to come back, come in from shortstop, walk the guy, then come back and strike out two batters in a row to end the game. I mean, that's that's a moment I'll never forget as a sports writer covering this thing. And um just extremely happy for the Agnos family uh, and everything they've been through and everything they've meant to ECU for him to get his moment like that. Much like Jake got his moment in the 2019 regional when he dominated NC State. It was awesome to see Zach um, performed the way he did. And he was great at the plate, too. He had a phenomenal weekend at the plate, another all-conference pick or all-regional team pick. So that was a great moment for Zach Agnos and, and a great story after the the tragedy he's he's under, undergone this past, this past year. Uh, the other guy, Carter Spivey, and I wrote a feature about him um, last night. I mean, if you would have told me a year or two ago that Carter Spivey would be the guy – that ECU would send to the mound in a winner-take-all championship game season on the line I, I wouldn't have believed you and that's no disrespect to Carter but it was just the the struggles he had earlier in his career it was evident that he wasn't in a good spot whether it be mentally physically whatever and you kind of wonder hey is this guy ever going to figure out like we see the talent he had a good fastball he had a good slider but for whatever reason he would just get hit or if he you know he would he pitched good for an inning. If he gave up a hit or a walk, things would seem to fall apart. And the transformation he's made from then to now is is phenomenal. And that's why you pull for you pull for guys like that that stick it out, don't run away from the challenge, embrace it, go to work, keep going to work, even when the results don't initially come. And now he's out there as a fourth year junior. And he's your guy. And Cliff Goblin sent him to the mound in the, the siding game. And, and Cliff said after the game that he knew pretty much right after he got ejected on Sunday in the middle innings that he was he was going to go to Carter. Um, and he actually called Carter into his office. He was going to tell him he was going to start the, uh, the Monday game. And Carter actually said, I want the ball on Monday. So they were on the same page. Carter, I thought, just his demeanor on Monday set the tone. And, and that was the most important part of that game for me. Because Coastal Carolina played with such swag, such confidence during the Sunday game that I thought it was imperative for ECU to come out and throw the first punch on Monday. And being the home team on your home field helps you do that if you go one, two, three in the top of the first, which Spivey did. Pirates come back, score runs. And, and really, even though Coastal threatened with the two-run homer off Spivey, in the fourth I, I just felt like ECU was in control of the game the entire day and they, they put up the eighth spot to run away with it um so those three guys man Bryson and Worrell and and, and Agnos and Spivey they were the stars of the weekend Jacob Jenkins Cowart got to mention him as well he just had some some clutch moments too um you know really big hit on a hit and run on Monday as well and really good uh, regional for the freshman but just um just a phenomenal weekend, and of course, we got coverage up on hoistofcolors.net, and we'll continue continue to bring you coverage leading into the Super Regional this weekend. East Carolina and Texas. I don't know if Texas will ever be coming to ECU again in any sport, so if you can't get to Clark Claire Stadium this weekend, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, you better have a legitimate excuse. Everybody's asking me for tickets. I don't have any idea about tickets, sorry. Um, I, I can probably barely get a credential, so... Uh, Really excited about this weekend. All right, on the other side, we will take all your questions. we got a bunch on Twitter on Hoist the Colors. I'll get to as many as I can before I get out of here. You're listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. Alright, welcome back into the Hoisted Colors podcast. Uh just checked out the uh my timeline on Twitter for the first time today. I didn't realize how sensitive people are about a tweet about some a uh, start time. I mean, damn guys, y'all um not y'all, but a few of you guys need to calm down. Like I'm just pointing out that the NCAA has stuck ECU with early start times. Look, they've played central, eastern time, whatever. They've been stuck with the early start times regardless. And I get it. ESPN's got to have a noon game. ECU makes sense. It's on ESPN 2. I'm not complaining that is on national TV. I'm just saying it would be nice to be able to see ECU play Texas under the light and really get a full Clark LeClaire Stadium national TV experience. We're not getting that, at least not in the first two games. We'll see if there's a third game, what that time will be. But, um, yeah, social media, man. A lot of sensitive people out there. All right, let's – uh. Let's dive into some of these questions. Again, I'll get to as many as possible. All right, we got a good one here. Corey Smith from Pack Pride um, does a good job covering NC State for us on 24-7 Sports. He says, how do you feel about umpires placing their hands on lower back section? I'll hang up and listen. Uh, But for real, can't wait to listen, man. So Corey's basically asking, what the hell was the umpire doing with Bryson Worrell on his three-run tank on Monday? And that's a great question. I would love to... To ask that to uh Perry Costello as well, because I get that umpires have a job to do to keep guys from showboating too much, keep the emotions out of it. But the guy from Coastal Carolina in the fourth inning and whatever time, Nick Lucky hit his home run. I mean, he pimped pimped it about as much as you can pimp a home run, uh, and you know, admired it. Bryson didn't do anything wrong, he just watched it. And maybe he was gonna sit there and watch it a lot longer uh maybe he was gonna do an epic bat flip I don't know he didn't really have the chance because the umpire Perry Costello let him watch it for one second and ran up behind him and basically shoved him to go forward which I think is over the line you know coming out and saying something is one thing putting your hands on the player and pushing him forward is a little much especially when the rule of thumb if a if a coach or a player touches an umpire it's an automatic suspension and or automatic ejection and probably a suspension why should the umpire have the right to basically shove or encourage or push a player you know saying hey go 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 is one thing but actively pushing him man that was just uh that was extremely ticky tacky and I, I think lame and you know probably a little bit over the line like i just think that's unnecessary man so i, I yeah super lame and not a fan of that as you can tell a lot of people aren't on um due to the video response on twitter and facebook and everything all right uh charles wants to know pitching rotation for game one and two three if necessary you know i've talked to a lot of people on the phone today who are like man spivey's got to be a starter right going forward and you know on one hand like i get it yeah if you can save spivey for game two sure uh, yeah, but my thing is this: Let's say CJ Mayhew, which I think he'll get the ball Friday, barring something up for seam. You know, if he goes out there and he goes five innings and it's a two to one game, or it's a two to two game, and you make a pitching change, you're probably going to Spivey in that game in that moment. You want to win game one, so you, you know, I think in a three game series, you want to you, you you unless you fall behind five nothing and the guy from Texas who, you know, we'll talk about him. They got two really good pitchers that are in the rotation, both lefties. Pete Hansen's their number one, got outstanding numbers. But, you know, if you fall behind 5 nothing, their guy's rolling, then, yeah, you don't burn Spivey. But if it's a close game in game one, you're playing at home, you have the chance to jump on them, you got home field advantage, you know, you want to play for that first game and you want to do everything. It's it's very similar to the winner's bracket, game on Saturday night in a regional. If you start 2-0, the odds of winning the overall regional are extremely favorable. I would say especially for the home team, if you win game 1 of a super regional, you're looking pretty pretty good percentage-wise that you're going to win the region or win the super. The other team on the road has got to come back and beat you twice in a row. That's tough to do. The other thing with using Spivey out of the pen is depending on how much he throws. Let's say you use him Friday and he throws 40-50 pitches, 3-4 innings. Whether you win or lose, if you get to Sunday, he could probably come back and give you another three to four innings. Now, if he goes 50-60, it's going to be hard to bring him back that weekend, or at least definitely not Saturday, but maybe on a Sunday. So, uh, if you use him out of the bullpen, it allows you to probably use him twice in a three-game series, if it gets to that point. Um, So, I think it just depends on how it works out. I don't think you go into the weekend for ECU and you say, hey, we're starting Spivey game two. Or we're starting whoever, Sailor, Terwilliger. And Terwilliger's not going to start, but you're starting. You know, I just think Issue plays it like it has all year. Why change what has worked for you to this point? You know, if you can win game one with Mayhew going seven and you've got a 5 nothing lead and you want to use Sailor or whoever to close it out, Terwilliger to close it out, then sure, you can do that. And you can start Spivey game two. But, you know, the, the odds of that happening are probably pretty slim. I think you got to do everything you can to win game one. I'm sure that's how Cliff Goblin. I won't say I'm sure, but I'm pretty sure that's how Cliff Goblin would play it based on how he's played it this entire year. So uh, I don't think there will be a set rotation going into the weekend. I think it'll probably be Mayhew to start Friday, and then they'll go from there depending on how things go because really there is no rotation. Uh, Mayhew is pretty much the only set starter at this point, and it's worked to this point for ECU, so why change it now? Uh, Adam, on that note, says, Any idea why we didn't see Jake Hunter this weekend? Uh, Yeah, I mean, Hunter's a freshman you know, if any, if he would have pitched in any game, it probably would have been, um, you know, the the Coppin State game in terms of like a starting role or something like that. But he just did not look great in his last outing in the conference tournament, and I think prior to that struggled a little bit against Houston in the regular season finale. So freshman, you know, he's got you know at times has looked good, but he's been inconsistent, and I just think you don't want to put him in a a, a tough spot, and so. He was warming up prior to Monday's game. Like, If there would have been a situation to get him in on Monday, then certainly he could have pitched, and I think he's available. It's just just, a spot didn't come up to where it made a ton of sense. Um, But he is available, and he was part of the, the, uh, the regional roster for sure. He was warming up along with several other pitchers prior to Monday's game because he was available and an option. Um, Josh N N C says, is it true that you purchased a necklace from Coastal's great value, Jock Peterson? <laughs> he is uh, referring to Nick Lucky, who uh, we did talk to post-game on Monday. He was wearing that necklace after the Pirates beat him, and um, no, I did not. I did not purchase a necklace from him. I have no desire to wear that necklace. And um, I couldn't, honestly, and this is no slight to Coastal, because I guess some of the players just died their... Hair, beach blonde or something but I couldn't tell like three of the guys apart because they all had like the mustache and the beach blonde um the beach blonde uh, look on their going with their hair so I don't know what was up with that I guess this is a, a coastal thing but I did find it funny that the fans were chanting Walmart uh necklace in regards to his or Walmart pearls in regards to his necklace so uh definitely interesting look but hey give credit to the guy man we can Hate on his pimping or whatever. Dude had a hell of a weekend. He hit the crap out of some baseball. So he was a well-deserved candidate for the all- all-tournament team for sure. Uh, Rohan wants to know, how is it humanly possible to hit 400 and have 30 home runs? Also, should we just pitch around him all series? So he is referring to Ivan Melendez, also known as the Hispanic Titanic. Like, I'm looking at these dudes' numbers, and I'm just like, what the hell is he taking? 404 batting average, his OPS on base plus slugging is 1,400. Like, if you have an OPS of near 800 or closing on 900, you're a really good hitter. If you're at 1.4, like, that's not even, that doesn't even seem possible. He's walked 49 times to 44 strikeouts. He's been hit by 11 pitches, so he's been on base 60 times via the free pass. His own base percentage is 522. I mean, I don't know what you do with this guy. The problem is, you know, if you pitch around him, it's not like Texas only has Ivan Melendez. I mean, they got Murphy Steely, who's hitting 372 with 17 bombs. Skylar Messinger is hitting 370 with 10 bombs. Uh, Douglas Hodu, I guess is how you pronounce it. He's hitting 309 with 8 bombs. Trey Faultine has 14 homers. Silas Ardoin, I really need to work on these pronunciations because I don't know if I'm totally screwing them up or not. He's got 11 bombs. They've hit 118 home runs as a team. They're hitting 317. I mean, but guys, Texas is legit. They're really good. I mean, they probably have the second most talent behind Tennessee in the country, maybe even, you know, right up there with Tennessee. They beat Tennessee pretty handily early this season. Now, I will say they are not unbeatable. Um, I've seen, I'm sure Texas will be favored in the series, but we are talking about a Texas team that lost two out of three at South Carolina, a Texas team that fell to college at Charleston in a midweek game. They lost a series at Texas tech. They lost a series at Kansas state. Um, they got swept against Oklahoma state at home, you know, so this is not a team that's unbeatable. They, they have had some injuries, some inconsistencies, but they are extremely talented. So again, we'll get more into this matchup yeah Melendez I mean I I would say don't let him beat you but I mean he's hit 30 bombs he's batting 400 he's he's a problem and you can't pitch around him you know a lot of it depends on the situation so we'll see how Cliff Godwin opts to play it um so Zach says what do you think will be the rotation for the series we just kind of touched on that I think Mayhew and Spivey the first two days will be your best shot again a lot of it depends on how it goes um You know, Texas doesn't really have a third starter either. So I think if you get to Sunday, both teams are just going to kind of be bullpenning it regardless. So I think you try to find a way to win one of the first two games. If that means using Spivey out of the pen, you do it. You just got to find a way to get a win, and then you worry about the next game. I mean, again, that's how ECU's played all year. You don't want to overthink it now. All right. um, Skull Pirate says, I would like you to revisit an early season podcast where you – and Scott Lorbatcher were commenting on how funny it would be if this was the team that got us to Omaha, and how it's never the teams we think it would be. What a wild, wild ride we have been on! Yeah, I mean, it's just—it's uh, funny, man. Uh, Scott, we've had him on the podcast a couple times since then. Uh, heading into regional play, it's just wild how far this team has come. The story it is—it just—you know—I really thought for a while that they were going to win. The—the the, I thought they were going to win twenty-three in a row and get to Omaha with uh, Keith LeClaire's number as a winning streak and clearly that wasn't meant to be and the way they responded after losing for the first time like to just come out and just kick Coastal's tail and shake it off I mean that that's as impressive to me as the almost the whole winning streak so this team just they have something special and, and a lot of it is belief mindset like at the end at the end of the day sports are clearly about talent and physical ability but it's just as important to have the right mindset and the right belief in this team. The way they're approaching things right now, again, not dogpiling after winning the regional championship. They're in a good spot mentally. They're in as, as good a spot, and with as little pressure, I think I've ever seen an ECU team in this spot. Maybe outside of the, you know, the 20, uh, 2016 team that was in Texas Tech. I mean, they were underdogs the whole way as well, and they almost got there as a three seed so I think this team is very similar it sounds crazy to say even as a national seed but I do think they are in a similar boat to where you know they don't have a ton of pressure Texas everybody's going to pick Texas to win this series or I think a lot of people are even though ECU is playing at home and for the first time we get to see ECU take advantage of home field advantage true home field advantage in this round um Somebody named Tired on Twitter says, is it true that high school graduations will be going at Minji's? Yeah, apparently that is the deal. So high school graduation coincides with the start time to baseball. Don't know how that's going to work from a logistical standpoint. Glad I'm not involved with the logistical side of this. But uh, that might be an issue for sure um Evan asked do you think the slow start has helped this team find its identity feels like in the past ECU has gone into it with a lot of hype and expectations but this year it does feel like more house money the guys look like they're just having fun yeah I mean I think that's I, I kind of was just touching on that but I think that's the you know better way of putting it for sure and I think the personalities on this team fit fit that persona too like you got guys like Jacob Jenkins Coward who man the dude is just having like a like a party in and, and right field every time he runs out there. Like he's getting the, the fans hyped up. He's got these awesome celebrations. And it's like this team is just so much fun. The personalities are great. And, and Cliff Goblin I think, has has done a good job of letting the team and the players kind of, you know, lead in many ways while also setting the culture as the coaching staff, of course. But the players have kind of led during this this big streak, and you got to have great leadership amongst your players and great personalities to do that. And I think that's really helped them kind of relax along with the winning, of course. But they just seem to be approaching it the right way for sure. Um, we got another question on the starting rotation again. I just think, yeah, I just think that you're at a point now where you take it game to game, and it's going to continue to be a staff day. Um, Dale asks, How likely we see Spivey start again? I think that, again, depends on what how Game 1 goes. Like, if you get through Game 1 and you lose 6-2 to two and Spivey's not used, I, I, I think he'll start Game 2. Uh, he also asked any ideas on what the financial financial impact is for hosting a Super Regional. I don't know. Uh, I do know that the NCAA takes a giant cut of the revenue, which is why they allow the teams to host these regionals because they want to make the most money. But uh, I do know that ECU makes a little bit of revenue, Um maybe a lot in this case I, I i do have a text out trying to hear back on that have not heard back yet uh and let's keep going on these questions here um how do we match up against texas starting pitching what's their bullpen like somebody follows up with that says maybe can't expand on this icon in terms of how ecu stacks up against texas as a whole i'm sure you're already planning to cover this yeah so i'll get more into that when um when we get into the Texas preview later this week but here's the main thing to know you know they lost Tanner Witt uh, one of their top starters to injury early this season he was a right-hander but they have two lefties who are really good Pete Hansen is their number one guy 11 and 1 3.08 ERA fastball 89 91 good slider good changeup pitchability lefty with good velocity 1 112 strikeouts over 18 walks and in 99 innings i mean 214 batting average against just outstanding numbers um and so you know that you're going to get a a, you know this guy i think all year yeah i'm looking at his line now i mean he's gone six innings five innings six six five seven eight nine six point one five seven pitched into the ninth against west virginia six against kansas seven two-thirds against oklahoma state 6.2 against air force so this guy's pitched into the seventh inning basically every start at least so Texas has a legit one-two punch. He's not going to walk you. You're going to have to beat him. And ECU's faced a lot of lefties this year. You know, you what's interesting is ECU has a lot of lefty hitters in the lineup. I think they're definitely better against righties, but they've seen so many lefties that I think that'll help because just teams pitched a lot of lefties against them just because they have so many lefties in the lineup. The other main starter is Lucas Gordon, another lefty, another lefty with good numbers. He's a sophomore. Uh, he is seven and one with a two three six ERA, seventy one strikeouts in eighty innings with twenty two walks. So, two really good lefty starters. After that, there is a pretty significant drop off in terms of starting. They have a couple of guys uh, with big time stuff. I mean, Tristan Stevens is a guy with stuff, but he's been inconsistent. He he's made eleven starts with a four seven zero ERA. Um, on the back end. Stevens has helped close some games now. Aaron Nixon has five saves. He struck out 35 but also walked 25 in 30 innings. So basically they rely on their two guys their two horses to to eat up innings and in the bullpen there is a pretty significant drop off in terms of depth. So ECU is going to have to beat I think one of these guys at least and get to a you know find a way to get to a game three. You know obviously you sweep the series in two games that would be ideal but I don't know how realistic that is against two really good starters, both from the left side. I think you give yourself a chance for sure if you get to that third game because there's a pretty significant drop-off for Texas, which has a team ERA at 4.05 overall. But those two guys kind of lead the way for sure. So EC will have to come up with a way to beat at least one of those guys. All right, our next comment comes from uh, NC pirate 13 He says more of a comment. There's no doubt that Texas will have taken notes and want to make Bryson's bat a non-factor as much as possible. It was big for Hoove and Moylan to get some positive abs yesterday, but getting Amac going might be the difference maker. Yeah, I think getting Amac, Newton, Moylan one of those guys I think has to have a good weekend uh, for sure. You know, Zach continued to to kind of set the tone at the at the top of the order, but yeah, you got to have more than just Whirl. I think that was the most positive thing about Monday's game was so many guys stepped up. I mean, 17 hits pretty outstanding number there. So uh, I think it. I think a lot of people will be going in to the, uh, the super regional feeling good offensively. Uh, Jesse says, what was the attendance for all the pirate games at the regional? Is that a record? I don't know all the ECU games. Um, but 36,000 was the total for the weekend. And That set a Greenville regional record, and then you had, obviously, the all-time record over 5,600 for the UVA game, just shy of that for the Coastal game. You had over 5,000, just shy of that for the Monday game, and you had over 5,000 for the Coppin game, and also uh, 5,300 for the Monday game, so you had over 20,000 alone at the ECU games, so that's a... uh, it's a pretty good weekend for a tenant, so I think ECU hopefully made some some good money for sure. All right, Destry wants to know if there were any recruits at the regional or super regional from any of the big three sports. I don't know about recruits. If so, they would have had to pay their own way with it being an NCAA event, Um, but they did have the prospect camp going on for football next door on Sunday to the, the regional, and I know that it was mentioned by the coaching staff that, hey, if you want to... Go over check it out. You can if you pay your own way. And also just know that, hey, ECU, what we do is we have big events on campus because we are a major Division One athletics program, successful program. So it definitely doesn't hurt recruiting. Uh, and I think the turnout for the tailgating scene and everything definitely made an impression on the recruits that were in town for that camp. All right, Riceville Pirate RicevillePyre85 on the message board. He says, do you expect Spivey to get the start for one of these games? What do you expect to see him out of the bullpen? Touch on that earlier. I think he will be out of the bullpen in game one if you have a chance to win it. Otherwise, I could see him starting game two, assuming ECU goes Mayhew game one. He also wants to know Has there ever been any talk of building a permanent seating structure in a section of the outfield or jungle? There has not, at least from an official standpoint. I did ask the uh, administration if there was any chance of bringing in some bleachers to expand capacity. And right now, that is not at least in the plans, because there's really nowhere to do it. I mean, you can do it down the first baseline, but the sight lines wouldn't be good, and it wouldn't really be that many added seats. And you don't want to take away from the jungle atmosphere by adding bleachers, and you you don't want to upset anybody. So I just don't know if there's a role to do that other than adding the left field, third baseline structure, which obviously won't be done this year, but hopefully down the line for ECU baseball. Pirate Foodie wants to know, only question I had was wondering if Thomas Francisco had any regrets about not coming back this year, missed out on a heck of a run, him and the guy who transferred to Charlotte, thinking maybe they missed out on everything. Well, for Francisco, I mean, he was just ready to move on, um, and so I don't I don't think he's got regrets. I think he's probably enjoying the run. Uh, last I checked, I think he was having a pretty good season. In the minors, and he just wanted to give the pros a shot, so he's doing that. And I, I don't think he's got regrets. AJ Wilson, I don't know. You know, he transferred to Charlotte, thinking that he should be more than a uh, than a number two, or excuse me, more than a bullpen guy. And basically, what he's done at Charlotte has been the exact same thing, but with worse numbers than ECU. So I, I don't know. I can't speak for either of those guys, but you know, looking at Francisco. He's actually batting 189 right now, so he's struggled a little bit, but 272 on base percentage, so I'm trying to find it. So, you know, I'm never going to blame a guy for wanting to move on, getting a check, and, you know, he can always come back. And I believe the minors uh, or pro baseball pay for the rest of his schooling to get his degree, so if he doesn't already have it. Um, So, Thomas, uh, I don't think he has any regrets. Uh, Berg Pirate, he's got a few football recruiting questions, and – not ignoring ignoring you, Berg, but just don't have an answer for those right now. I'll try to have some scoop in the coming days. Balan wants to know, are Mayhew and Spivey the Friday-Saturday punch next year? Yeah, we had some questions about will Mayhew, Spivey, any chance to go pro? As of now, I checked on this a few weeks back and I expect them back, but I do think the further ECU goes into the postseason, the more spotlight these guys are going to get and the more maybe you have a chance to lose one of those guys. I would say a guy with with Spivey's stuff could potentially be a late round pick i don't think he'll be a, a top round pick um you know mayhew similar type of deal but i honestly expect both those guys back right now but i wouldn't be shocked especially spivey being here for four years already having his degree for a year you know if he gets a chance to go maybe he does but i think mayhew having another a uh, year of um year to work with in terms of uh, negotiating power with the COVID year. And also if he could prove he could be a starter over the course of a full season, I think that could really help his stock. Um, Bailey also wants to know, do you expect Agnos and Hoover to come back for next year? Yeah, Hoover will definitely be back. Agnos, I think will be back too. Um, But he's really helped his stock these last few weeks. There's no doubt about that. But I would say right now, you know, I don't have a huge fear of seeing anybody on this team being plucked early in the draft although again the longer they go into the postseason uh that the more the more they have a chance to so yeah I'm mostly happy for Worrell because he's had a chance to really shine on a national stage and he's got the tools to get drafted even if he's a senior so hopefully somebody gives him a shot at the next level all right our next question comes um from ECU Pirates backwards, he says, Yes or no question? Simple. Does Texas have the worst starting rotation out of the last three Supers for ECU? So on the surface, yeah, but it doesn't mean they're slouches. Um, What you you have is ECU has faced six consecutive first-round arms in the past three Super Regionals. So that's pretty brutal. And... You're not gonna face that this weekend, but Pete Hansen is a projected draft pick, probably a second or third rounder or around their top five pick in terms of rounds. And so he's a quality arm. I don't know as much about the other guy, but you're you're not facing chopped liver. These guys are legit. But I don't think it's as un you know, certainly not Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker, uh, or Bobby Miller and Reed Detmers. So I think the Pirates have a shot. They just gotta put something together to uh to get these guys out of the game and get into that bullpen. So we'll see what happens, but certainly not chop liver. Uh, that's for sure. All right, and our final question comes from seating capacity. Um, G. Uh, G Vegas Pirate, he answered it. Let's see who asked it. Uh, Pirate Golfers. He says Does the NCAA cap the jungle seating, or is that solely between ECU and the local fire department? It seems that you technically could fit 10,000 if you wanted to uh, be miserable, uh, with the enhanced success of the baseball program over the five, six years, do we think there will be talk added pressure to expand the stadium? Um, you know, my thing is this, I thought saw somebody point out, you know, post one thing, but if you, are unless you're filling the, the stadium every single game, I just don't know if it's necessary during the regular season is what I mean. Like if you're not filling every game during the regular season or getting close to it, which ECU is not, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, It would be nice to have that extra benefit, but really the stadium is not constructed in the best way in terms of the grandstands or in terms of ability to add on temporary seating in the grandstands to benefit from that. So I just don't see the easy way to do it unless you add permanent seating. You know, if ECU continues to win at this rate over the next five years or so, maybe it needs to be looked into, but I just don't know if it's, if it's really necessary. You know, if you're going to add one thousand, two thousand seats to the stadium, but only fill it three times a year, is it really worth the cost? It's not a revenue sport. You know, if you were drawing seven, eight thousand fans a game during the regular season, I could certainly get it, but I just don't know. Um, as far as the NCAA cap, yeah, the NCAA plays a role in that. Fire marshal does play at least somewhat of a role, but not um, not all the role. You know, it, it's kind of a The number can be manipulated a little bit, but there's a lot of moving parts there. I don't know the exact protocol, um, but it's not like the fire marshal comes in and rules that only this many people can stand in this spot, whatever. So uh, it's got to be approved by a lot of people, but the NCAA does have a big role in that, and they they can kind of decide on what the number actually is when it's their event. So that's kind of my understanding of it. And I heard mixed things on if ECU could even break the record – Because going into Saturday's game, I asked some people and they were like, I don't even know if we can have 5,500 people in the stadium. And it turns out, well, yeah, they at least sold that many tickets over 5,600 and did break the record. So, and I got a good feeling we'll see the record fall again this weekend. The the ticket demands are already insane. And I think it's only going to continue to build as the week goes on. All right, that'll do it for this uh, edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast. Just wanted to get up here and talk about the regional championship, answer some questions as well. Um, we will be back again just in a, a day or two for our Super Regional preview as we dive into Texas and ECU. Who would have thought it? ECU hosting a Super Regional in Greenville, North Carolina against the Texas Longhorns. All right, we'll have more for you then. Until then, thanks for listening to the Hoist the Colors podcast.